Dear Brambling, it's your Uncle Luke here. Before I begin, I just want to let y'all know that I had a, a little issue with a wire for my regular microphone right now, and I'm going to have to replace that. So right now, if I sound a little weird, it's because I'm talking into my headphones, the little speaker in my headphones. Yeah, it's not the best quality, but I hope you can forgive me, and it is the best that I have right now. And yeah, it, you, you got to make do, and you just got to keep going, and the show must go on, right? So. Uh, today, I, uh, I woke up at 6.30 in the morning, and uh, everything in me told me to <laughs> go back to bed. I decided to commit to the promise that I made to myself, where I was going to walk to Walmart and buy the copy of Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I was the first person to arrive at Walmart, I was the first person in the Walmart, and... I was the first person to buy that game today. <laughs> Anyways, needless to say, I've been having some fun. But uh, today, Scott and I are going to be talking about the lover archetype. The lover archetype is a really, really deep and emotional archetype. This is definitely our heart center, and this is definitely probably going to be the most vulnerable conversation that I share. Not to say that I haven't been vulnerable. It's just I feel as though in this podcast I finally say something that I know that if I don't say it, I will regret it. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an exercise that Scott and I do about the concept of memento mori. And we're going to get into that a little bit with this podcast, so I won't talk too much about it. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot because the lover archetype is actually anchored in the emotion of grief. And that's a big deal. Um, because grief is one of the most intense emotions that we feel. I think the reason why the lover archetype is grounded in grief is because it takes true loss to truly appreciate what you have. Does that make sense? Like you really truly have to lose something very very important to you to really truly appreciate what you have. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot, and um, in the next part of this conversation, Scott and I are going to talk a bit more about the shadows. However, uh, without any further ado, I'm just going to uh, let the conversation speak for itself, and we'll just dive right into that. Hello, Scott! Welcome back. Thanks so much for coming back. Always happy to come back. <laughs> right now we're in the midst of this uh, frozen, freezing rain, lots of snow. Everyone's telling us it's going to be some of the worst weather ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how's that treating you? I don't mind. I really don't get stressed out about weather anymore. And I kind of chuckle when I see people complaining on Facebook and Oh, I'm so done with it. And it's, I mean, when you compare it to most places in the world where we really haven't had it that bad. And I'm, and I'm just, I mean, I just can't sweat that stuff. 
Mm-hmm. It's it just, it is what it is. The idea of allowing snow to affect your mood to me is a sign that you got some work to do. Really? You know, my walk up here before I did this, this podcast, yeah, it was freezing rain and it, the, the walk was more laborious because it's deep snow. And there are those moments walking up where I'm like, oh, this is kind of sucky. But then I just talk to myself and I say, so what, man? You're not doing this every single day. It's just roll with it. Roll with it and enjoy it for what it is. And I went out on a couple of walks purposely in the last week just so I could enjoy the snow because it's very beautiful to look at. And one of my favorite things about snow Mm. is how it muffles everything. Yes, right. And I love that being a quieter person. it's, It's like I just love that. It's like this muffled silence. Yes, the silence of snow. It's like you're wearing headphones without any music. Mm, right? Yeah. You're, walk, you're walking around with like comfy headphones on, but like there's no music. So it's just muffling everything. I love it. Yeah. So yeah, the, the weather's not really getting to me too much. So what's been on your heart and what's been on your mind these days? Yeah, it's interesting. Timing is everything. And, you know, here we are week three and we're talking about the lover archetype, which I think is an archetype for me that I... I, I have to be careful that I how much I lock him out of my life. Mm, tell me more. Well, I think when I was younger, this was the area that I lived in most of my life. Even in my 20s, I would say that I was very driven by hopeless romantic ideals of meeting the soulmate and happily ever after. And so I really grew up with, with that energy. I think growing up in a home where my parents weren't very loving, Mm. led me to really, it was twofold. I never saw a healthy relationship while I was growing up, which contributed to, I think, a lot of failures in my own relationships, but also just this, all I remember, I've been thinking about this this week, heading into this conversation, is I spent a lot of time in my life just wanting, needing, needing to be loved. And if I wasn't loved intimately, I was unhappy. Mm. I, I I used to hate being alone. I used to struggle with solitude. And I think that's part of the healthy lover. The healthy lover is able to love himself in a way where he's, when he's in solitude, he's not, he's alone, but he's not lonely. Mm. So I think what happened was over the years, I mean, you know, I went through a really tough, toxic relationship a few years back. And I think what happened was, is after that relationship, I dove into magician energy, meditation and wanting to transform my life. And until I worked on this stuff that we're talking about, I was spiritually bypassing. And I, we can talk about that a bit too today, if you like. I think there's a lot of that going on in the world, this this spiritual bypassing thing where mm-hmm. I think a lot of these people are still kind of hurting inside or they're still masking things with this idea of, I'm so enlightened. I'm so one with you know, I received downloads from the spirit world and I'm so this. And, and, and they're always in that state of mind, which yeah. makes me feel like there's just a lot of that spiritual bypassing. And I think that spiritual bypassing is, is I think it is a cover up of the lover wound, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? In a weird way, it's like they become this inflated, spiritual bypassing to me is like inflated magician lover. It's the inflation of those two archetypes. It's like the executive and the impotent, sorry, not the executive, that's my shadow, yeah. the detached 
was it the detached manipulator yeah. and the uh impotent lover addicted lover addicted lover we're gonna go into that a bit more today but yeah because i think they become addicted to spirituality they become addicted also to this kind of avatar that they create for themselves mm. i i just have this it's weird because i went through it luke i mean you probably remember that where it was just everything was meditation and everything was about i didn't need people anymore i was as Robert Moore says, I, I became very self-important and grandiose in my isolation. And, um, and then when I wasn't doing that, it was, it was trying to not push, but kind of preach that whole meditation is the answer. Going within is the answer to life. And, but, but kind of preaching from a place of superiority in a certain way. Mm. So it took this emotional work which requires shadow work requires the lover because you need that vulnerability. But I think what sort of happened was through the process of all my years of life, getting to this point, I've had to strengthen my warrior. I've had to uh, strengthen my King. And I just feel like there's maybe a tendency sometimes for my warrior to still beat up on that part of myself mm-hmm. and almost slip into this subconscious dialogue of, no, you don't deserve this right now. You're not there yet. You, you know what? Yeah, you've worked hard, but you haven't accomplished what we set out to do. So you, you can't rest. You're not allowed to enjoy life. You're not allowed to, to, to let go. So I, I feel like right now, to segue it back to your question, I've really been struggling lately to trust and let go. And that is the lover energy. Robert Moore does a wonderful lecture on the lover, and he really talks about how it colors and helps the other three archetypes like the other three archetypes without lover energy is when they become very inflated deflated confused messed up Mm. so i I would really say yeah that's a that's a, a thing for me lately and i feel it luke like i actually feel the resistance to love right now to truly like surrender to the moment so yeah that's that's really where i'm at and i think that's why this conversation is timely yeah, no, I think we were talking a little bit about spiritual bypassing in the magician conversation. And as I was going back and re-listening to our conversation, I was like, wow, this is actually very deep. And, you know, I remember saying something about the the Venn diagram of, you know, someone who is riddled in shame. They usually say things like, I am bad, I'm a failure, you know, stuff like that. And then on the other side of the the diagram, we've got someone who's maybe filled with arrogance or that that ego, right? And they'll probably say, I'm the best. I'm amazing. And right there in the middle is uh, a commonality where both of them have linguistics that say, I am blank, which is essentially saying that you can only be one thing and you are only this and you identify yourself as this thing. And I think what I was saying in the magician chat was that that is language of shame, regardless of what position you're at. I found that just listening back on that, I was like, God dang, spitting some wisdom over here. I love it. Um, But what was also coming to mind as you're speaking is um, this lesson I was learning from my book, Atlas of the Heart, um, all about belonging and how the emotional experience of belonging is in a constant dance with love. They have to be together in order for them to really truly be at their power. And if you have one, but you don't have the other, 
all that's left is pain and suffering. And uh, I was talking a lot about belonging with my friend Minoji when we were talking about identity. And that was a two-parter that we did, and I'd love to send it to you, Scott. Um, but uh, when I talk about belonging, I feel like I also have to talk about fitting in and how they are very misunderstood. <laughs> Oftentimes we like to interchange those two words because we think they mean the exact same thing, but I think in reality, and Atlas of the Heart really goes into this very well, as well as the gifts of imperfection, but fitting in is the opposite of belonging, right? Belonging is showing up to a group and that just being enough. Your presence is enough for them to accept you. And fitting in is cutting and severing parts of yourself so that can be enough for the group. And there's an emotional violence to the whole thing when you try to fit in, right? There's not really self-love when you're trying to fit in. And if the other party is expecting you to sever parts of yourself so you can better fit in, I would argue that they're not showing love to you. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of pain in that whole thing. And if we're not really feeling like we belong to ourselves and we belong to the people that we surround ourselves with, I would argue that there's a real lack of love as well. <laughs> I spent a lot of my life trying to fit in, you know, especially when we're younger, teens and early 20s, especially even late 20s. There's a lot of figuring out going on in life, at least I found when I was that age. And there was this constant sacrifice of what I really wanted just to try to fit in. And yeah, fitting in requires work and it requires effort. Whereas belonging is just feels more, again, in that realm of surrendering and, and trusting and knowing that you have a right to belong in the world. You know, the healthy warrior is about this feeling of feeling you have the right to exist, that you matter in the world, that you make a difference no matter how big or small. But yeah, I think this spiritual bypassing thing, you know, and whenever I feel triggered, I'm always looking for the answers within myself. But I've, I've really struggled with it lately because you have a lot of people in the world that are like myself. I mean, when I came out of that really bad relationship, I was looking for help. I needed help more than what my friends and family could offer. And that's when I found the, the Shakti Kriya meditation. And, and I mean, it was an absolute game changer, lifesaver for me at that time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But again, it was like the same thing. I think we mentioned another one talking about the warrior, but it's like, it's like going to the gym too much. It became this thing where all of a sudden now I was obsessed with meditation. I was obsessed with trying to reach some form of enlightenment on this planet at the cost of actually human connection. And so, so now I see, I know there's a lot of people that are hurting that for whatever reason, wonder why they can't be more positive, why they can't feel happier. So they look to these, these coaches or these spiritual people. And the problem I have with a lot of them, not all of them, but when everything is just about changing your mental state to being positive, changing your mental state to being more loving, just flip the switch, do this, do that. And the more that you manifest positivity, right? The more that you think of those things, your life will change. And, and I tried that. Mm. And, and I think like anything, it kind of worked for the short term, but it was just a band-aid again, because the steam will run out of that engine as well. And yeah. then you're still left with that feeling of like, and that's what happened to me. I was still kind of like, okay, I went through that year, two years of that stuff. 
And then until I unpacked the, the mother and the father wound and I worked with the archetypes, it wasn't until then that I realized that what was truly preventing my happiness was myself, mm. as most people know. But the answer wasn't in just being a fluffy, it's, you know, spiritual person, because there's a weird thing with that. It's, it, I find there's a danger where you become less grounded mm. because you are here on this planet to experience this earth and this existence. And I feel a lot of times when you get into the spirituality stuff too heavily, there can be this tendency of, I think a bit of that inflated magician and a bit of that, just that, or even inflated king, a little bit of that grandiose feeling like I'm so one with the universe. And mm. it's funny because I just don't connect with it in the same way as I used to. And I think that's part of the reason why. I also think it's a slippery slope, and I'm seeing this a lot in the, in the self-development arena, is a lot of people are really self-proclaimed mm. experts and gurus and things like that. It's like with what I do. I'm new to the men's coaching game. I've, you know, it's, it's, it's quite new. But I have a lot of really strong life experience behind me as well, and I've been in the health and wellness industry for a while. But I'm never going to try and sell myself like I'm anything greater. Like if somebody really needs therapy, I'm going to refer them to a man like Dustin, or I'm going to maybe send them to Alexander who does have a little more experience. Like, you know what I mean? And I just think there's a lot of irresponsible coaching and things out there right now where again, it's this weird, I find this weird thing about the spiritual ego. I feel like the mm. spiritual ego is a different entity because it's kind of coming from this place of overflowing love and passion. But I'm going to use as an example, but you've seen it a lot where these, a lot of the very spiritual people, they'll post a lot of pictures of themselves meditating by a waterfall with their shirt off, wearing a Buddha necklace. Like, let's say that's just one example. And they have, and, and everything they do is colored with that. And I find that just so unrelatable. And I, I, it's weird. I just, the reason I'm bringing this up for lover, I think is because doing this work, I have to be really responsible because I'm holding space for people that are needing to be vulnerable in that lover energy. And I think what's happening in the world is a lot of these people's lover archetype is being taken advantage of because they're looking for help, they're lost, they're wounded. But the answer isn't just to write out 10 affirmations uh, and, and say them to yourself. Because I'll be honest, for a long time with affirmations, I used to say them, I never believed them. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I believe them now if I did them. Because I've, because I've done this, this deeper work of, of wound healing and shadow work. So now when I say those things, I, I believe them. Yeah. It's interesting. I just, that's what's been on my mind lately. And, and absolutely. It creates this thing within me of how do I want to present myself? And I always struggle between this. I need to market. I need to, to sell my coaching. So there's certain things that you're supposed to do to get more followers, to get more attention. I'm torn between that and just being myself and not giving a damn. You know, you know what I mean? And just going, I don't want to play that game. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, I feel like my work is for the most part, I am not giving a damn, but every so often I'm I'm playing the game. And I and I keep trying to tell myself, Scott, don't play the game. And that's not lover energy. 
right? That's that's like the positive lover is is you're not playing the game. You're just being wholeheartedly yourself. Yeah. Without apology. You know, it's funny. You're uh, as you're talking. I was actually um, picturing Indiana Jones. <laughs> And uh, you're sitting next to an Indiana Jones picture. It's just, it's perfect. I got to bring up this metaphor, but you remember in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think it's like the very first scene or something where Indiana Jones is in some sort of temple and he steps into the hallway and he, I, I don't know, maybe there's a tripwire or maybe there's a tile on the floor. I don't really remember, but the first obstacle he runs into is, you know, the arrows shooting from the walls. So he's got to like run super fast past all the arrows so he can get to the other side. And then all of a sudden, as he just finally passed that trap, the floor gives way to spikes and he catches himself. And then he realizes there's a branch where he can send his whip over and he can like sail across it. And then just as he gets past that, he triggers another trap where a giant boulder is trying to crush him and he's running away from that. And then finally, after all of these traps, he gets to a, a room where there's a golden idol, right? And I remember that this one, it's like the camera work or something that they did where you kind of see the golden idol, but it's out of focus. And then the camera drifts towards it and then it comes into focus and you see it. And it's just this small little, I don't even know, was it a monkey? Was it a, just this golden little thing there. And, you know, Indiana Jones leans up and he's like, oh, right. And then he kind of, he realizes that this thing is on another booby trap, right? So then he gets out a little sack of something, maybe sand, and he's trying to like gauge the weight there. And then he does that quick little switch out, right? And then he tries to grab the golden idol, right? The reason why I'm bringing this moment up is because what I think about is that golden idol kind of represents our heart, right? And we put up so many different traps to protect our heart, right? So many different traps. Perfectionism, having no boundaries, being a knower versus being a learner. You know, there's a lot of different traps that we put up so we can protect ourselves. And um, I think what's really important, and I think this is what we're gonna be getting into, and maybe this can be a little warning for some listeners, but we're gonna be talking about maybe some of those traps but more importantly, I think what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about some really hard shit because like you said, I think it's really not healthy to be focusing just on the positive and just on, you know, the warm fuzzy feelings that we get. I think what we really need to do, especially with the lover archetype, is really stretch down into those feelings that we really are afraid of because on the other end of those feelings are the true pure, warm, fuzzy feelings that we're always searching for, right? So yeah, this is just my little warning that I, I feel like I'm going to be getting kind of emotional talking mm -hmm. about this topic with you. I don't mean to bring anyone down, but I want to be honest with you and I want to be uh, real with you and I want you to experience this <laughs> with us. You know what I want to say about that really quickly? Please. When you say, you know, you know, I don't I don't mean to bring anybody down. I love that you bring that up. I'm going to say this right now is and we'll get into this with Memento Mori as well. But mm -hmm. that shouldn't even be a thing. <laughs> I've noticed this weird thing when you decide to talk about death, when you decide to talk about grief, when you decide to talk about some of the more difficult emotions in life, people 
will constrict and they will they'll project it onto you like why are you so depressing or why do you have to be like that it's kind of like well wait a minute i'm actually okay personally talking about this well i could talk about death all day i could talk mm-hmm. about grief i could cry very openly and not worry about it and it's weird within my space of experiencing that i'm not depressed at all but yet i feel like that person is projecting their own depression and they're so scared to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And it keeps coming back to this idea of you can't experience true joy and true freedom, okay, until you move through the grief and you move through the grief again and then you move through the sadness again. We're, we're human beings. The one thing that we've been gifted more than any other creature is emotions. Like animals do feel, um, but it's more it's more primal. It's more um, animalistic. Yeah, reactive. There reactive, you go. Yeah. But for human beings, we have this wide range of emotions. Like even when we feel tears, our tears sometimes are of joy. Sometimes they're tears of grief. Sometimes they're tears of relief. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's like a, a happy, sad cry. Like there's all these. It's a kaleidoscope. Yes. And I and I think what the lover asks us to do is to get in touch with our emotions so we can build emotional resilience, emotional mm. maturity, emotional awareness, mm. and we're able to move through these things. And it, it's just interesting. I, I, and I feel the same way sometimes, Luke, when I post certain things where I'm like, oh, they're probably looking at me like, here's that sad freaking dude again, like always talking about wounds and pain. But I'm a happy guy. Like I like I like I'm not I, I I'm not and I'm happy for the most part is because I know that I need to move through these emotions in order to experience the the, the better things in life. Would you argue that maybe your happiness is because of these sad moments that you give yourself permission to feel? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, most times after I've had a good cry, I'm I'm my most present. Mm. I I'm I'm in the moment. I'm at my most. I'm 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 open, vulnerable, and I'm surrendering because mm. in order in order to cry, that's the thing is crying is surrendering. It's letting go, no matter what that looks like. Even if you're laughing so hard you cry, that's a surrender. You're surrendering to the laughter, which becomes um, tears of of laughter, right? But you have to surrender. And I think as a society right now, what's happening is we are hanging on, myself included. I'm do I have to catch myself all the time. We're hanging on so tight to our dreams and our goals, always trying to get a leg up on life, that we're not slowing down enough to feel our emotions. And I mean, that's the, the lessons to be learned within these emotions is where joy lives. And, and a lot of times these, these people that are afraid to talk about sad things, I'm like, well, it's probably because, yeah, you're scared of them or they're scared of them. But the, the big thing is, is we're looking for distractions and cures in the wrong places. It's weird as human beings, we feel like, nope, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do that and I won't cry and I won't yeah. feel anything. And they, and they believe that's their path to joy. Mm. And, and I just always want to tell people, I'm like, it's like, cry. Wail at the moon, man. Let it out. Yes. I've always, You know I've said this, Luke. You know I've said this. It's like taking a good crap. Are you going to hold that in to your body? No. no. You're going to let it go. And as soon as you let it go, you always feel better. Pooforia. <laughs> <laughs> I've never pooforia. My hypothesis about what you're saying is that it is a combination of the magician and the warrior that prevents the lover 
right? So magician is, we don't give ourselves permission, right? To actually surrender to these emotions. And I think that's very cognitive is that permission thing. But then all the other things, the traps that we set in front of our heart, that's the warrior acting from the, the, the orders of the magician who's trying to play the king, right? Who's now protecting ourselves from all these things. And I think what it really takes is that magician, well, it takes the king to tell the magician, stop, it's time for our lover to finally feel something, right? So it's time for us to start giving ourselves permission to surrender. And then the king goes to the warrior saying, Dis disengage, disengage those traps, right? And let's let that heart expand and let's let it feel. That's just my my hypothesis. I don't know what you might... And it's, it's spot on. But mm. lately, because of what I've been going through, Luke, sometimes the magician's voice is so loud. I f feel like what's being asked is it's the warrior who needs because if you're if your warrior truly is in service of the king and he's smart enough to know that that he's not in service of the magician i feel like the warrior needs to know mm. when to when to lower his sword and and drop his armor mm. he you know because you know this through the work we did but the warrior is guarding the garden of the of the lover he's the one that's creating the boundaries and he's saying nope you're not crossing yes you are so in a weird way yeah i i believe that there's certain situations I'm actually literally having this epiphany right now where I've always turned to the king because it, essentially it's the king's responsibility that we that we're in that energy and he is he is is in charge of the kingdom but if the king has also placed a healthy warrior into battle that warrior also has to have a deep enough awareness to know when to stop yeah and you know what I mean? If you want to think of it visually, it's like your warrior's fighting and fighting and he's taking these orders from the magician to keep going. Eventually, it's not even necessarily just the king saying, hey, warrior, stop. Listen to me, not him. It's the warrior in the midst of that battle saying, well, wait a minute. I don't take orders from you. Mm -hmm. I don't, I take orders from my king and he drops his sword. You know, and that's where these archetypes, I think, uh, the more that we initiate ourselves into each one and we focus on them and we grow through them that's these are the different levels now i'm learning with these things where you know the first stage is just you learn each of them and how they function and then then the next level is almost like yeah how do how do they interact with each other uh and when is that required so yeah on one hand absolutely 100 percent in certain situations i think that's going to happen the king needs to step in but i think sometimes the warrior also just needs to be like you're not in charge, buddy. Sorry, I'm tired. I'm yeah. beat. I'm beat. I'm taking a break, and I'm I'm letting. I'm gonna allow um, Scott to have his time in the garden. Well said. Just a thought I had on that. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So I think I think one of the main themes about this episode today is really going into what I learned from Bikram Hot Yoga, but stretch up to stretch down. And I know that when I was practicing Bikram yoga, like that was all physical and that was all like trying to just stretch my body. But what we're doing is we're going to be stretching the heart, I think, today with this conversation. And we're going to be stretching down into some really hard emotions so that we can stretch up into some of those really lovely emotions, right? So with that being said, you mentioned a little bit about memento mori. But I'm curious if you're willing to tell us a little bit more about what is that and what does that mean? Remember that you have to die. I believe it originated, I think the Stoics 
we're definitely um, responsible for at, le- at least today, like where it's coming up in the world. It's from the Stoics, but it's this idea of memento mori and remembering that you have to die, living living that day as if it's your last, so to speak, and having that awareness level, which yeah, is very much lover energy. It's very much sort of surrendering to. It's a bit of every energy, though. It's also still requiring the other archetypes to do what they need to do. But I think it's much more lover because it's asking you to stop and smell the roses. It's asking you to really taste that coffee differently, um, to connect with people more deeply. You know, it's interesting. And I wanted to bring this up because we sort of touched on this via message. and, And, you know, I did a post recently on Memento Mori and I had some quite interesting responses. And there was this one woman who, basically was like oh hell no manifest my own death like i would not do that like this idea of that's the energy and the frequency you're putting out into the universe to get back to you Mm -hmm. and on one hand i commend her because logically i can understand that viewpoint and and in a way it makes sense yeah but the more i think about it the more i'm like it's interesting because it goes back to that spiritual bypassing again, where I feel like, okay, but the answer isn't for you to also avoid it and pretend that it's not there, especially if you're a spiritual person. Mm. That makes no sense to me. The Buddhist monks have been, they, they contemplate their death every single day. They live their life in a contemplation of death. Let's be real, right? Mm. And they're not manifesting their death. They are contemplating their death in order to live more fully and more present, which again goes back to lover energy. Mm. So it was interesting getting that comment because, like I said, I understand that logic, but I think it is coming from this oversaturation of, you know what, I'm going to call it toxic spirituality. Mm. We always hear toxic, toxic positivity, but it's toxic spirituality. It's this whole idea that... You know, I've never been a big fan of The Secret. I've never been a big fan of these things because honestly, they're bullshit. Mm. They're bullshit because what they do is they preach this idea of just keep wishing for it and just you'll manifest, you know, whatever you – and I do believe this part of it where what you put out will come back in the sense that like obviously if you're sitting in negativity, you're going to uh, attract more negativity. I believe that. Mm. But what's often left out of this conversation – with manifestation and things like that is you need to take action. You actually need to do things. Like it's not just about having an airy fairy mental state of being that's not going to work. Like you have to couple that with action. To me, that is, you know, the, that's where the warrior is required. So, uh, and I, and I speak from experience because that was my first foray into self-development was all of this fluffy spiritual positivity stuff. And it can be beautiful. It can, but Mm -hmm. I question any spiritual teacher and advisor who does not show a range. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's to me, it's like when I was going through that magician phase, I thought I was very in touch with things, but I, I really wasn't. I was spiritually bypassing. And it's not to say some, like everybody who is that way is spiritually bypassing. Maybe they are just, positive like that all the time i don't know but the more i've done this work the more i've like to me it's not possible to always be in the light i mean and i think that's the other thing is that with the spiritual community in that sphere they're always in the light they're always talking about love and light love and light and i think the reason why it doesn't resonate with me is i'm like yeah but what about the darkness 
it's uh yeah it sounds like another trap right avoidance is another trap to our heart what's really vulnerable about leaning into darkness like that is um there's that fear of it possibly taking over and ruling your life however i think what's more poisonous in this situation is denying the reality of the truth of it all the truth is is that we're gonna die that's the truth the truth is yeah. is that sad shit happens the truth is is that bad things happen to good people right and sometimes life is just random and one of the harshest truths to really sit with is that I think the reality is, is that we try so hard to build a life that's made of concrete and brick, but the truth is, is that it's actually made of paper and one strong gust of wind can really shake up your life, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to maybe just take a minute to sit with that. And trust me, this is not comfortable. This is not easy, warm, fuzzy. This is cold, harsh, and rigid. But we need to really feel that and get that and really just accept that, you know, this is truth. I think it was Carl Jung that said that the only way to really describe the human experience is the paradox, right? And a paradox, for those who don't know, is when you say a, a statement essentially that contradicts itself. It's not like an on, on oxymoron, but it's like, you know, I'm going to go see my best friend today who lives far away and I'm going to be so happy and excited to see them. But at the exact same time, that visit is not permanent. And I'm going to also have to say goodbye. That uh, connection can feel so warm and amazing and loving but there is a harsh truth with connection is that there's also disconnection. You have to disconnect in order to connect, right? <laughs> yeah, I think also as I'm thinking about the lover as it's it's really an acceptance of impermanence. Mm -hmm. When you step into that energy, that's why it's scary for a lot of people is that it is. You, you know, when you're stopping to smell the roses or you're really getting in the moment, there is sort of this other side to it that is also an acceptance of this moment is fleeting. It's going to pass on to the next moment. And so within that joy and within that enjoyment, there is sort of this, this under, undertone of, of impermanence. Mm -hmm. And I, I, and I just, you know, I, it kills me. I, I think about this because I know when I've been suppressing my emotions, because generally, eventually I'll, I'll let them out. But I think about how many people right now in the world can't remember the last time they cried or if they've ever cried. And to me, I'm like, that's a problem mm -hmm. because unfelt emotions are going to come out in a myriad of different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, whether, whether it's snappiness at your partner, uh, shortness with your child, or even more self-criticism of some kind or frustration, or maybe it's going to manifest as just pure anger. Mm -hmm. But but these emotions, motion, <laughs> in motion, they need to move. Um, oh, hold on, say that one more time. One more time. Emotions in motion, they need to move. There's a reason why the word motion is in emotion because that needs to move. Oh man. 
Oh, so, man. <laughs> so think about, think about this terminology, suppressing emotion. That sounds like an oxymoron. But you are holding it all in. Yeah. And here's the next piece of the puzzle. Because the lover is about your body. That is why the world is so sick, Luke. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take anything away from COVID or whatever illnesses are running rampant right now in the world. I'm, I promise you right now that the reason why it's as bad as it is, is because we were so sick to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it is connected to the emotional body. Mm-hmm. My mom died of cancer. Rest her soul. She was such a cynical, negative woman, stubborn, very much held her emotions in check all the time, never released them. Mm -hmm. And it led to cancer and it led to an early departure from the world. Sometimes the healthiest, happiest people get cancer. I know that. But I'm also a firm believer that when you hold on to these emotions... It starts out as, why does my back hurt so much? I've got this, my back is so sore. I feel sick in my stomach. My stomach always feels upset. My shoulder hurts. I'm, I'm feeling this tension in my neck. What is that? Mm. Sometimes you just slept wrong. Of course. That's more acute stuff, right? But the chronic stuff, the lasting pain so that you can't explain like a sore low back, an aching low back is because there is a, an emotion that has been locked into. You're holding on to that emotion and it's, it's stuck in that part of your body. And until you start to release that stuff, I mean, it's been proven. I mean, a lot of people do a lot of like the, the emotional healing stuff. Like once you start to let go of this stuff, your body feels, it's the same reason why, Luke, when you cry, your body feels what? Lighter. Yeah. Less tense. Yeah. So these, these, these emotions that we're so scared to feel, you know, I, I know people in my life where, all, so let's say I bring up a, a point of conversation where, oh, I, my friend's mom's really sick and he's going through this and he's having a hard time with this. And then that person will be like, can we just change the subject? Like, I, I, you know, it's just going to bring up too much for me. Now, on one hand, I respect that because they're creating a boundary for themselves. They're, they're saying, I don't want to go there right now. But then at the same time, I'm like, that's undealt with stuff. You still haven't released all that you need to release because you should be in a place in your life where you're comfortable talking about it. Like my mom died right in front of my face. Wow. Okay. I watched her leave this world. It was one of the ugliest, most beautiful things I've ever witnessed in my life. And it was very challenging and difficult, but I can talk about it because I've moved through it. I've had to let my mom go on so many levels. Mm. First, it's the idea of the woman who knows you most. The person you feel safest with in many ways is gone. So you deal with that first layer of grief. Then there's the, like lately, there's just a lot of the remnants of that grief. The fact that she's not here, I can't have these conversations about my childhood and be like, hey, you know what? Like when you pushed your Bible thumping ways on me, that's not cool. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that your marriage was, had gone to shambles and you turned to me for companionship. Like there was all these things that I wish I could say to her, but I have to find a way. I had to find a way, but sometimes I have to keep finding a way to forgive her. And go back to what you and I worked on where we do the visualization where we imagine our our mother as a young girl before she was tainted by ancestral wounding. So yeah, and that's the reason why most people don't want to go there because as you mentioned, it can be cold, it can be harsh, it can be a lot of work. But what else are we here for? Because if we're just here to get a nice car and buy a house and get married and pump some kids out, (laughs) 
Like, no wonder people feel when they get that stuff, they still feel empty. You know, we can go back to our conversation about Twitch. He's been on my mind so much because of the fact that I'm like, why? Like, in, in the sense that I'm like, I mean, that guy looked to be, appeared to be more than most. Like even a guy like Robin Williams, like you, you could see that, yeah, he was probably a bit pained, right? He did a lot of drugs when he was younger and he was using comedy to, to uh, suppress or, or to, to avoid a lot, let's say. But like, mm-hmm. tw- but I look at Twitch and I'm like, I mean, honestly, what, like what, you know, and, and the planning of it to go to the motel to like, you know, uh, they found him in, a, I think it was in the bathtub and. And he left a suicide note and he just, that he couldn't just, he couldn't just go on anymore. I'm like, I mean, beautiful wife, kids, career. Like, what do you mean you couldn't go on anymore? Mm-hmm. What was actually happening to get mm-hmm. you to that point? And I, it's been really sticking with me. It, it, it almost makes me angry. It brings anger out because I'm like, it, because as a society, it's because we're not normalizing emotions. We're not normalizing. It's that thing where like, let's be honest, Luke, right now, let's say I was at, I don't know. Let's say I was at Walmart and for whatever reason, I just broke down and cried. People would look at me like I was mental. Mm. What the hell is that guy's problem? What a weirdo. Recently, I'll share this quick. This is, this is what I mean about normalizing it. Uh, my girlfriend was, I think she was at Sage. This is a little while ago and she was at her breaking point and she holds back her emotions a lot. Mm. And she cried when she was in Sage. She had a mo- That was her moment where she just let it go. And one of the workers at Sage just hugged her wow. and was there for her. And just last night, she was she went back to the same Sage, but that that woman wasn't there. But she's like, you know, I'm really thinking of like buying her a gift card or something because that day, that's all that's what I needed, right? Yeah. And it reminds me of that story you told me working at I think it was uh, at Starbucks, and and you'd I think you had brought up death there or something, and the 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 girl came in to get the free birthday drink. Is it that one? Oh, I'm confusing the two stories. There's the one on Facebook where someone was like, "Why are you so depressing all the time?" Oh no, that's um, the same story. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you were sharing that story. I mean, I mean yeah. that that's a whole other la- layer of you need to deal with your stuff. <laughs> yeah, I just keep coming back to you know I I have goals, I have dreams, I have ambitions, but it, you know. Lately, I feel like I've been kind of smothering the lover a bit where I'm not letting go. I'm not afraid to feel my emotions, but it's just more of this I got to power through. And, um, you know, playtime in the garden will come when I get here, when I've earned, when I've really earned it. You know, it reminds me a bit when we were working on your addicted lover and, you know, you would reward yourself for a lot of little things like you would do yeah I, i'm the kind of the flip of that like I, i'm not allowing myself any little like i wouldn't say any but i'm not allowing myself enough of those little rewards along the way mm. i'm punishing myself so christmas time is definitely a time i think of the lover but i just think going quickly back to the twitch thing one thing that stuck with me was they showed a video from a few months ago with his wife and it was one of those things where they held their hands up and drop a finger for every line that I say that is true. Uh, it, yeah. it was it was basically about white privilege, okay. and and it was like you know, have you ever been looked at strangely while you're like walking in a shopping department, like you might steal something, or have you ever been bullied mm-hmm. for your race? And of course, Twitch, all of his digits go down, and hers are staying up the whole time. And in that moment, it made me think about not just Twitch, but it made me think about because my girlfriend's black too. And it really made me think of how unaware a lot of white people like myself can be around 
what people of color truly go through and how much they have to suppress that emotion and not and not share it. And I my heart broke when I saw that video of Twitch because I'm just like, there it was. There was his whole lifetime of trauma wow. that was accumulated because of, of his skin color. And I'm sure, I mean, I don't know, um, but that probably contributed to a lot of his depression that he wasn't speaking out about. And mm-hmm. the thing that scares me, Luke, about that is that he had so many people in his life that would have been there for him, but he didn't feel that way. There was something inside of him that was wounded enough to believe that his something, it didn't matter. Now, I have also thought maybe it was just, maybe he had some serious clinical mental issues that he or people weren't aware of, right? Like maybe he was really, you know, sick, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I don't think so, but it just, yeah, it's been on my mind, man. Yeah. And we talked about last week, you know, is it the warrior? Is it the lover that's linked to suicide? Now, I, I think I agree with Rod. I think there's some warrior there. And I also think it's some some lover there because it's like, even with all the love and support that he had around him, something inside of him felt empty mm-hmm. or or unloved, mm-hmm. unworthy. Like, they were like it, it just, he's gone. Like, I just, I, I look at this man and I'm like, you had everything. Yeah. And it reminds me, and this is maybe why it's affecting me, Luke, mm-hmm. is here I am working so hard to achieve maybe kind of like what he had, like that level of achievement because, oh, if I get that, I'll be even more, I'll be happier or I'll, or I'll feel a certain way when I get there. And it's in that moment that I realize, dude, happiness is, it's here now. You have to make it happy, like not make it, but you have to experience the happiness now and stop waiting for it. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that, that's, that's really what's been, what's been sticking with me. I, I've always heard that joy is an emotion we get when we really think about gratitude, right? Those with the greatest gratitude practice have the greatest joy. But the flip side here is that gratitude, real gratitude, not just, you know, face value, superficial gratitude, where you're just saying it just because, you know, we're saying grace, and then I get to eat my food, you know, real gratitude comes from recognizing what it really means and what it really feels like to lose something. You can't really truly be grateful for what you have if you don't recognize what you could lose. Right. And I think that's, that's, that's kind of the gold of memento mori here that we were talking about is, you know, one day you're going to die. One day you're going to lose your life and not until you can finally recognize the truth of that statement, then you can really start being grateful for the fact that you are living. And there's a lot of joy in that gratitude, right? In that grounded feeling, but it requires contemplating death. It requires recognizing that you're going to lose so much in your life. Uh, the, The whole Twitch thing definitely got me uh, going as well. It's been really reverberating itself everywhere. I think it also goes to show just how how loud his vibrations, his sound, his energy was in the world, right? And I think a lot of us are really feeling that grief really deeply because now we all recognize that we lost this, this uh, lovely presence, right? But I think... If anything, maybe let's let his life be a lesson for us, right? That, how do I word this? 
live a life where people are going to really truly miss you when you're gone right yeah i guess that's all i can really say <laughs> i think what also is something that we all need to work on as human beings is what i call this i'm gonna make this up on the fly i don't know what to call it but it's momentary concern mm. it's like there's probably a better way to phrase that but i'm trying to stay in my lover energy and just go with the flow but it's mm. this thing where we all gravitate towards a story like twitch and we realize that something needs to change. We talk about it for about two weeks, and then we go back to just being dumbasses. Mm-hmm. And that, and I find that frustrating because I'm like, it's lazy. And the thing with Twitch is this: think about how many other people that aren't in the spotlight, exact same situation. They they appear like they have everything, and then they they take their own life. Mm-hmm. It's happening all over the world. I mean, the men's suicide rate especially is is a lot higher. And I do believe it's linked to what we're talking about. It's The reason why the men's suicide rate is higher, I believe, is because they don't have an outlet for their emotions. Because mm. it's it's deemed less manly to be in your emotions. So that's why I actually think uh, that's a huge contributor to men's suicide, like hands down. When I was dating my my ex years ago, her best friend's boyfriend super smart guy, super down to earth, super sweet. He, he took his own life and mm-hmm. he, I think he was really drunk and he got pulled over by the cops. He got his vehicle taken away. And so then he went home, got his shotgun and then he went to his mother's grave and shot himself in the head. But here's the thing about that, Luke, to me, the answer to that suicide lies with the mother. The fact that he chose to go there is, mm. is, is, you know, he's probably hurting from, cause he was at that time only about 20 years old. And I think his mom passed when he was quite young. And I just, I feel like, uh, you know, I try to imagine myself if I'd lost my mom when I was younger, like let's say even 14 years old and how that would affect me. And I just, there's so many variables. I'm not trying to diagnose by any stretch, but it's just, that's the thing that got me thinking is it's like, wow, he, and he went all the way to that cemetery. He went, you know, and he could have turned back. He could have done this. And, and, but that's where he chose to, to do it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I remember sitting next to him, watching a hockey game and, um, super sweet guy, super nice guy. And, uh, I, I just think that men, especially, but I think people in general were, were living in a very magician oriented world and a warrior world where, Emotions and feelings are just becoming so undealt with and suppressed and, you know, it's the hustle culture. And sometimes I'm just like, that's where Memento Mori does come in for me sometimes, you know, where surrendering to the moment and, and it, it does ground you. Like if I go, if I go to, you know, spend Christmas this year with Natalie's family and I really keep Memento Mori in the back of my mind, that Christmas is going to be special. Because mm-hmm. because I'm going to be like, what if this was my last Christmas? Yeah, wow. I remember my last Christmas with my mom. Yeah. You know, she came over, uh, was at my sister's place. The whole family was there, except my middle sister. Uh, I think it was too painful or too much for her. I don't know. Um, or she was just being my middle sister and not thinking about it. And mm. She's a loving, caring person, but she was going through it in her own way, I guess. Yeah. But I remember talking to a friend at that time and I knew it was my mom's last Christmas and I just, I just didn't know how to handle it. She was like, just be very present, be in that moment. 
And I have two memories from that day that really stand out. And the reason they stand out is because I stopped to smell the roses. I literally was 100% in the moment. One was watching my mom just enjoy and listen to her favorite Christmas song after she got, gave me crap for talking through it the first time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the other one was, I, you know, there wasn't a big table at my sister's. So my sister and my brother-in-law, they ate on the couch and there was a small table and I had my dad to my left and I had my mom to my right. And it was the last time I sat and I had dinner with both of my parents. Oh, wow. And even reflecting now on that, you know, my parents were so far from, from perfect. And there's a lot of things I've unearthed through this work that, that I've had to really forgive them for. You know, my first model relationship was them. And mm -hmm. I, don't ha I don't have any recollection, Luke, of them kissing, hugging, showing any kind of love and affection for one another. I used, to, I used to see other kids' parents and go, oh, that's so weird. Why aren't my parents? Why are my parents not doing that? So, but that being said, you know, still being able to sit there because my parents had separated for years. I mean, even having them in the same room at that point was kind of an anomaly. Yeah. And I just sat there and I soaked that dinner in and I'm like, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to cherish this moment. And it was a small table. It wasn't big. We were quite compact and close. I don't remember any of the conversation. I don't remember anything that was said. I think I just wanted to be there and just have that energy of what it, what it really felt like to have a mother and father not fighting, yeah, not disagreeing, not one of them getting angry at the other while the other one does nothing. I was just able to embrace that, embrace that moment. So, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, this is all lover stuff, man. It really makes me think of that Pixar movie, Up. I haven't right? seen it yet. Oh, some people say that Up is the first 14 minutes is the greatest movie of all time. And then the rest of the movie is just the icing on the cake because they, uh, they tell a short story to uh, some really, really uh, heartfelt music. I'm not going to spoil too much, but something that your story made me think of is uh, right towards the end this little boy who was missing a relationship with his dad found a uh, father-like relationship with the main character and he was telling him sometimes after our little boy scout meetings we'd go to the ice cream shop and we'd sit on the curb and we'd only count the uh was it the blue cars we'd only count the blue cars and both of them just kind of laughed and i think the main character was just like oh why is that and the animators did a really great job in this because you see the little boy, you just see his face just kind of drop and you kind of realize that, you know, the devastation of it all really just kind of hit him. Maybe devastation isn't the right word, but he then said, I think it's the, the things that seem boring that I'm going to remember the most. It's the same as when you're in a relationship and it ends. You don't remember the sex. You don't, you don't, you do, but you don't think about those things as much as you just think about, you know, even my bad relationships, when I want to reflect on them, I think of those simple moments that you could deem boring that do, they do. Those are the ones that stand out or, or the person's personality traits. Oddly enough, it's the things that might have irritated you a bit about them. All of a sudden, 
are flavored with this feeling of like, wow, I wish I'd appreciated that more. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that's one of the things about being in a in a real relationship is, you know, you're gonna get on each other's nerves. You're gonna have these moments, but it really is also about really accepting and loving them for those things that do irritate you because that's what makes them them. That's what makes them, you know, and even having this conversation right now, I'm having this moment dropping into the the lover energy where I'm thinking about my current girlfriend mm. and a weird way. What makes it so kind of special sometimes is, is half the time I know exactly what she's going to say. <laughs> I know how she's going to say it. And there, in, in some ways, there's a, there's a lo- level of like, oh, here we go. Or, oh, yeah, there it is. But when I really stop and think about it, it's a beautiful thing because it's a reminder that I've shared five years of my life with this person. And I've, I've shared all these ups and downs with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, laughter, sadness, joy, frustration. And I just think within that, there's this appreciation. It's like, that's who she is, right? And that there's a beauty in that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it was um, Vision from WandaVision that said, isn't grief just love trying to find a home? Well, speaking of grief and love, I was wondering if you'd be uh, willing to join me in a memento mori exercise. Mm -hmm. Would that be okay? Yeah. So one of the things that you got me to do is um, you got me to write goodbye letters my God, (laughs) I remember trying to write this and I tried to write it at home and I was so overwhelmed with emotion that I I had crying fits just here alone that were just so intense that it almost felt like my eyelids were going inside out, trying to just squeeze out all the tears. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The well is dry, but you're just, it's like dry. It's like the, the, um, crying version of dry heaving yes yes and uh you know i was i was doing that and i took a moment i took some breaths and i realized like i can't do this alone i need to write these goodbye letters in the presence of other people so i don't feel like i have to i you know i i kind of needed to give myself uh no permission to cry or feel in this moment in order to get it out. Mm-hmm. So I went to a coffee shop and it was still even hard to hold back the tears writing these uh, goodbye letters. But um, I'm gonna, I wanna try to read some of these goodbye letters and I wanna see what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'd love for you to just be with me while I do that. Is that all right? It is. Thank you. All right, I'm just gonna go into it. Let's see what happens. (laughs) All right. Mom and dad, I need you to know that I couldn't have lucked out more being your son. I know that things didn't work out between you two, but unfortunately, you two will always be linked because of me and Brendan. A part of me died that day when you two told me you were breaking up. Do you still remember that day? Sitting in the guest room of our old house, all the pictures of us as a family were flipped down. I was sitting on the purple Ikea couch and I tried my best to just sit there and listen, but I couldn't stop crying. One of you gave me a tissue to wipe my tears, but some of it got caught in my facial stubble and it was just stuck to my face. I can only assume why all the pictures were flipped down. 
but know that I'm writing this to you while staring at a picture of all of us before we were a broken family. One thing that we share is that pictures of us as a whole family bring us pain. The only difference is that for me, I look at those pictures and I smile. Even though I feel pain, I at least can look at those pictures and think, I wouldn't be alive if it weren't for these people. I wouldn't be the person I am today without my mom and dad, who at one moment in their lives loved each other. Sometimes people aren't meant to stay together. I understand that. I just hope that one day you two can forgive each other. I love you two so much. Brendan, my big brother. Growing up, there was always this part of me that wanted to desperately be a part of your life more. I'm sorry for always trying to intrude on you, mess things up, and for always being so annoying. Sometimes when we're longing to belong to someone, we do things that are drastic in hopes that people will finally notice you. Maybe I didn't fully understand what was going on with you, but I had this sense that maybe you felt alone and I wanted to be there with you to help you realize that growing up didn't have to be so lonely. I wish that we had an easier time growing up, but we can't change what happened in the past. I always have this curiosity wondering what life would have been like if we were more friendly towards each other growing up. Maybe we wouldn't have grown closer as adults. The annoying little brother finally got his big brother to notice him, and now his big brother believes in his little brother more than anyone else in the world. What more could anyone ask for? Even though growing up, you would say things that would really hurt me and hurt the idea that love doesn't always win, but we are living proof that it does. That even through the pain, brothers can love each other if they really want to. And I really love you, Brendan. Matt, my best friend, the two little caterpillars who grew up together, who found kindred spirits in each other, I hope that you know that there is always something about you that made me feel safe around you. Almost in this way that felt daring and rebellious. Courageous safety. I know there have been times where I've been a really shitty friend to you, and I'm so sorry. I hope you know that. Yeah, I just hope you know that. You're just so brave, and I was so afraid. I really looked up to you. For courageously being yourself, for speaking your mind, for holding me accountable and for your patience with me. I know you didn't have to be, but you were. While you were building your cocoon and transforming yourself into who you were meant to be, I was still stuck in my caterpillar form. After you emerged from your cocoon, you flew away, as one should with such beautiful wings. I think about this song from Encanto often, and it reminds me of us, but a little different. It's called Two Orujitas, and the line that resonates me the most is, fly apart to reunite. I hope that you stretch your wings wide and fly as far and as high as you want to go. A best friend like you deserves the world. And with uh, the beautiful wings that you've grown into, I hope that you use them. I love you so much, Matt. I'll see you again. Oh, I'm holding it together, but barely. Mm-hmm. Amber, I know that you and Brendan were meant for each other, but I can't help but to think that you were meant to be in my life too. I can't help but to think that if you didn't come along, Brendan and I would still 
have continued to have a strained and broken relationship. I believe that you mended us, that you changed our lives forever. I want to thank you for being this kind, gentle soul in my life who held her hands out to help with so much love, love that our family wasn't ready to hold on to. And even after we bruised you and hurt you, you still held out your hands in love. There's a part of me that thinks that we don't deserve you, but my God, did we need you. I need you. I got a big sister along with a big brother who are now together. They show me what love can be when my parents failed to do so. I want to thank you for your listening ears and for our shared understanding of so much. The thought of you in my life brings me so much joy. I love you so much, Amber. And finally, to Desmond, the Brambling, the next generation. I hope you know that there's this huge part of me that really wants to know wants you to know me. But not just Uncle Luke, but rather Luke, the human. The human who has struggled, crawled, limped. The human who has been bruised, bloodied, and battered. The human who wants to protect you so badly, but has to grieve the fact that constantly protecting you only hurts you more. I don't know if I'll ever have children of my own. I don't know if I'll ever have a partner in my life. So in a sense, I see you as my own. All I want is for you to live a life that is your own without having to feel the pain of your father, feeling the pain that your father, mother, and I felt growing up. I know we won't be perfect, but I hope that you can feel the love. I hope that if all else fails, that our love for you is strong enough to carry you through your life. You represent a clean slate for us. Clean, you represent a clean slate for us, Des. A clean slate for our family. There's absolutely no pressure to make it perfect because you can't. But your existence helps us all. Sorry, but your existence helps all of us feel like we can breathe easier again. I wish I could see you grow up, have a conversation with you, and learn about how you see the world. I love you so much. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> but what's the whole time you're reading it, though, my question is, how much of that have you actually told these people? You know, I think is that's the crazy thing about life sometimes is that why do we only say these things in a eulogy or when somebody's gone and we have all these regrets of the things that we never said? And that, again, is where Memento Mori comes in, is it's like, I mean, and, and I'm guilty of it, too, just for the record. But it's, it's seriously, it, again, it goes back to, like, I mean, man, here today, gone tomorrow. Everyone knows that saying. I mean, yeah. so you better say what's on your heart now, because you might not get a chance to say it tomorrow. You know, and yet we keep making that mistake. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, somebody's gone, and, and we... We have to not only deal with grief, but then we have to deal with the grief of the grief and the regret of not saying what we wanted to say. Yeah. Wow. I'm surprised I didn't cry harder. <laughs> Every time I read that when I'm alone, I cry so god dang hard. Because you're well conditioned in this environment to 
not let go that way. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But it's true. We're, we're just conditioned to get through it. <laughs> and, and a lot of times getting through it equals not allowing things to pour out too much. Because when we do that, I remember working with Alexander. I mean, you can relate to this from working with me. I mean, God, man, there were sessions with him where I just, I let go. I mean, I, I ugly cried. I scream cried. I, um, you know, it's like you said, my whole body was crying and releasing things. And in that moment after the release, there's this little stillness where all that's left is the little boy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's just kind of sitting there very present in that moment. And that's where that vulnerability comes in. But in a weird way in that moment, the, the little boy has this clean slate. Yeah. He, feel, he feels this energy of just kind of, thanks for letting me let go. Thanks for letting me feel what needed to f- I need to feel. Thanks for letting that release. Yeah. And that's just the king stepping in and, and allowing him to feel. And, and then there's something very powerful about when you've done this kind of work where you're able to really hold that space for yourself like a parent would, Mm. you know, I've said it many times. It's like when the boy starts to get agitated or impatient, I got to go into my King and just go, um, I hear you little one. (laughs) I hear you, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna go there today. We don't need to do that. Yeah. You know, or sometimes it's like going, you know what? I know why you're scared. Do you need to cry? Okay. Cry. Let's get that out. And that's about parent reparenting yourself. I've had many moments like that since working with Alexander where I feel an emotion coming up and I feel this panic or this anxiety and, 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 and it freaks me out a bit. And then I just kind of step into the, the, the knowing king and I just go, what's wrong? Mm. I ask myself, it's because you know, the king really is our, our higher self. It's our highest intuition. And the king just kind of steps in and goes, what's wrong, Scott? Mm-hmm. what's going on why, why are you feeling this way and a lot of times when i ask myself or ask the boy that question it's very after not much thought i'm able to respond and go well i'm really scared because i'm afraid that i won't be liked i or recently i had a situation where i just i didn't feel loved my boy didn't feel like he was getting the love and attention that he deserved after all the hard work he'd been doing and he was feeling it so it was it was my job as king to give him that yeah. And to go, you know what, you know what, it was, it was in that moment where I was able to, in my King be like, I love you. Mm. I love, I love the work you're doing. I think we're doing fantastic work. You're amazing. Yeah. Love you, you know? And, and to me, that is also what's lacking in the world is this ability to really hold that space for yourself. Absolutely. Sometimes you just need to reach out. I'm not saying, you know, you have to be completely self-sufficient with this stuff, but the more you're able to do that, and hold that space for yourself, I think the better. Uh, it shows a lot of emotional resilience and strength and awareness. So, you know, I think that is kind of, you know, now t- we're sort of touching a little bit on that, the king lover relationship a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. The editing and sound design are provided by MB Productions as well as Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Sunlight Cascading Through the Clouds by Artificial Music. If you'd like to follow me on any social media, I am on Instagram and Twitch at Rex. And for those who are still listening this far into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd also like to say that if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you. 